Welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. I'm Ryan Young, as always, and we have two more good guests for you today. I was really excited to get USC offensive line coach Tim Drevno on the podcast and have a chance to, I, I want to say, sit down with him, but obviously we weren't in the same room because we're still going through these strange times. But we talked on the phone for over a half hour, and I was really excited to have that opportunity to go in-depth with him on a few things that I've wanted to pick his brain about for a while. We get into, obviously present roster stuff and how he's going to replace his two starting tackles from last season, how he kind of sees that coming together, his confidence for that group in general, which guys have been impressing him. We cover all that, of course, but I wanted to go beyond the normal scope of questions we always ask uh, Tim when we have him after practice and get into his recruiting philosophy, what he looks for in offensive line recruits and how he learn to trust his eye and have confidence in his own evaluation over just looking at the rankings. I say this on the interview with him, but I, I truly believe it. That's Offensive line is the is the hardest spot to evaluate. I think it's the area that the recruiting services, both rivals and, and other ones, probably have the greatest hit and miss rate on just because so much goes into projecting how a guy is going to develop physically and whether he has the mentality for that position and whether he's going to be the the guy that unlocks his full potential, et cetera, et cetera. I thought in talking to Tim Drevno, he had some really good perspective on, on that and, and how he kind of found his confidence as a talent evaluator. We also talk about the incoming offensive line class, and uh, I asked him which guy he thought was the most underrated, and he didn't hesitate. He had a quick answer for it. So I think you're going to enjoy that interview. I also bring on USC baseball coach Jason Gill for a shorter segment for two reasons. I wanted to talk to him about Kyle Hurt, the USC pitcher who was drafted in the fifth round by the Miami Marlins in the draft last week. And he was the only Trojan taken, but it was unusual baseball draft. There's only five rounds. There's usually many, 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 many rounds, and a lot of guys get taken. So I talked to him about Kyle. I talked to him about what that small draft meant for guys returning to his program that might not not have otherwise we talk about the new NCAA rules or or changes pushed through as a response to the canceled season last spring and seniors last year getting an extra year of eligibility etc cetera, etc cetera. there was some more news about a week and a half ago about some roster limitations scholarship matters that have been adjusted and, and flexed out for this coming year. So I want to talk to, to Jason about those matters and how it affects his program. So those are our two guests. We do have one promo going for you that I'll tell you about real quick. It's a monthly promo. So if you're not signed up at trojansports.com with a new monthly subscription, we will give you a coupon code to breakingtea.com for a free t-shirt worth up to a $28 value. So you're going to pay a little bit less than $10 for the monthly subscription, and you're going to get a T-shirt valued up to $28 for free. And there's no strings attached, no commitment beyond that. We hope that you would come in and like what you see and stay on, but it's a great way to get you in. So if you want to take advantage of that, real easy, sign up, trojansports.com. Use promo code MONTHLY2020, MONTHLY2020. And I have links on most of the stories on the homepage. Before we get to the guest, just to recap the week, we did get a little more clarity in terms of, and I'm going to use the word plans in quotes here, in air quotes, 
because everything is tenuous, everything is ever-evolving. But we got some more clarity on what USC hopes to do with his football team in terms of bringing players back and going through a summer routine and then fall camp. USC had a Zoom call with USC football parents a few days ago, earlier this week, and we were able to, to get some of the insight that was shared on that call. I'll just run through the the key points. They're going to bring guys back in staggered groups, or at least that's the plan now. They can't bring everyone back at once, so they're going to be strategic and kind of stagger when everyone gets back to campus. Everyone's going to be tested and go through all the the COVID-19 protocols. But in terms of the timeline, which is most interesting, I think, to, to everyone listening here, it would be uh, virtual meetings and voluntary weight training until July 13th. Then from July 13th through July 23rd, the staff would have eight hours to work with the guys, including weight training, conditioning, film review. From July 24th through August 6th, the staff would get 20 hours of summer access for walkthroughs, uh, weight training, team meetings, etc. And tentatively, and again, I reiterate tentatively because I, I have been told that everyone involved in this process wants to get it right. They've seen the number of positive tests that have come back from other schools that have already brought kids back. They're trying to learn from that. They're trying to find the best way to minimize that as part of the outcome and have the smoothest return. So all of this is tentative, but tentatively fall camp would begin August 7th. And that's kind of standard around the country right now. That's the date everyone's targeting. The NCAA has acknowledged that date, and that's the schedule that USC wants to be on. So again, none of those dates I just gave you are locked in stone. They're not guarantees. They are. That's what they're striving for. But everything can change if things don't progress with the results that we're all hoping for. So just bear that in mind. We also learned that USC has reached out to its season ticket holders to say they are, quote, actively planning to have fans in the Coliseum this year, but fans in a, quote, dramatically reduced capacity. We don't know yet what that number is, what that percentage is. They're asking season ticket holders to let them know if they want to opt in or opt out. There's no penalties for those who are going to opt out. They'd still have their priority for 2021. Right now, they're trying to get a gauge on how many people are interested, and then they're going to try and figure out What's a workable plan for how many they feel they can safely put in the Coliseum on game days? And that would come with requirements and protocols like asking all fans to wear a mask the whole game. And I don't think they have all the answers yet on tailgating or concessions or uh, all that stuff. I think it's, again, I keep using the word ever-evolving or the phrase ever-evolving because that's what it is. It's still unfolding and that's a big puzzle that's being put together. But that's what we learned this week. And I don't have much more to add at the top here. I want to get into these interviews, and I want you to hear straight from USC offensive line coach Tim Drevno and baseball coach Jason Gill. So let's get right into it. Let's welcome into the program USC offensive line coach Tim Drevno. Tim, thanks for joining the podcast, and how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm doing great. Uh, looking forward to getting back to work here pretty soon in terms of getting back into the facility. Yeah, we're getting closer and closer. Started with everybody on this topic because it is the main thing going on right now. With your group, I know you have a lot of guys back. What's been the biggest challenge for you trying to be productive during this these strange times the last few months? I think the biggest thing is is you know you can go through tape and install tapes, and you can show NFL tape, and you can show different techniques that you want to work, and 
and you can give them drills to do and things. Uh, but them actually filming it and walking back into the building and be able to watch it and then learning from the mistakes or, or praising somebody on something they're doing really well to kind of gain that confidence has been hard through this time because there's no – we always want to coach off the newest and freshest tape. Uh, and there's none of that right now going on. So that's probably been the, the biggest challenge, you know. And then also just from a teaching uh, standpoint, just looking through a computer screen, you know, and, and sometimes they got the mute button on which you have to and trying to get the feedback and, and get the questions. But they've been actually really good and, and asking questions. They don't understand something or, you know, uh, reconfirming what they do on what they do know. So, but that's probably been the challenge just staring at a computer screen and not be able to get out there. I always say going on the field is like getting your medicine for the day, man. You know, getting out there and let the sun beat down on you and work the guys and get better. You know, it's your craft. Absolutely. And it will be really interesting when you guys do return to practice. You have two big spots to fill. You lose both your tackles. And that's the biggest question for us outsiders about this offense. You know, obviously, Keaton Slovis is back. The running backs are deep. The wide receivers are deep, even without Michael Pittman. People are... I don't want to say worried, but that's the biggest question is how you replace those spots. What is your level of uncertainty with that regard and replacing both Austin Jackson and Drew Richmond? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel very good about it, to be honest with you. I think that, you know, as a coach, there's always years that, that guys graduate or leave early, so you've got to be able to, you know, uh, fit those, uh, fill those spots and things. And I knew this was coming, you know, when I took the job about a year plus year ago. Uh, so, you know, the guys that we have, I, I feel really good about. I mean, Jalen McKenzie, you know, we've moved him from guard out to the tackle spot, the right tackle spot. We moved Eliza Vera Tucker from the left guard spot to the left tackle spot. And, you know, I think that uh, the biggest thing with Elijah going out there, I thought that he's, you know, the best offensive lineman right now at USC. He's a very talented guy. We're fortunate that he stayed. I mean, he could have went in last year's draft. Some guys are telling me he probably could have been a first rounder, you know, or, or, or a top uh, second rounder. Uh, but I, I said to myself, I said, he's the best uh, offense line we have. Let's put him out there. And then in the back of my mind, I said, you know, this is really going to help his draft stock because people are going to be able to watch him out there, the NFL scouts, because as a, a tackle, you know, it's not like you have a sideboard with you. you got a lot of one-on-one -on -one blocks out there. So you can really see his initial quickness and his twitch as he sets off the ball to go pass block. And, and then, you know, I just – I feel good about Liam Jimmins that made the transition a year ago from defense to offense. Andrew Voice is healthy and back. Liam Douglas, you know, is, is really come along and really developed. And has got really gotten really strong in the weight room. And feel good about you know Justin Dietrich and Brett Nealon. Those guys. I feel like we got a really good core of guys. And the neat thing about it, Ryan, is they are really bought in to Graham and the air raid. And and this is an awesome offense. And uh, we're excited about it. I. I I embrace this challenge, and I know we have the guys in that locker room and that offensive line to get it done. So I'm excited to put put out put out the 2020 uh, class, you know, and let's get rolling. We all certainly expected that Elijah would be the guy out there at left tackle and Jalen would be at right tackle. I didn't know it was it was uh, kind of decided already. Do you have a full starting five picture in your mind at this point? No, and I just kind of give you that tidbit just because – you know, people only saw us practice once and stuff. And I know there's not a starting five. We're going to roll the balls out and see the best starting five are. But I'm, and, you know, I am messing with the lineup a little bit to try to see what the best fit is for us to put the best five guys out there. Uh, but I, I feel good about the guys that are battling for spots. 
and I think this it's going to really be a competitive situation. You know, even with Jason Rodriguez, he's come along a year into the program. I mean, he's a he's got really good um, you know feet, and he's got good body control, and plays a lot of great core strength. So, you know, I, I don't want to miss anybody because I'm so excited about this group. I was going to ask you about the depth be, behind those tackle guys. If Elijah and and Jalen are the guys who, who's behind them. You mentioned Jason Rodriguez. Who else do you feel is is ready to step in if they have to get thrust into action there on the outside? Yeah, I feel good about the guys. The six offensive linemen brought in. You know, they're bringing in this class. You know, coming in. You know, Jonah Monheim. He's a highly talented guy. Uh, really athletic. Andreas Durek, uh, Andrew Malik, Cortland Ford. Uh, you know, uh, Casey Collier. I mean. One of those guys has got to be ready to go. If it's one or two of them, they got to be uh, go ready to go. And I feel good about the evaluation that we did when we evaluated them. That I thought that all of them are tackle bodies measurables, and they all move really well. And the tape that they've sent me with some of the drills that they're doing, I was really excited about the tape. It was they you know they're really fleet footed and they can bend well. And they're twitchy. So one of those guys or one, two, or three or whatever, they got to be ready to go. If they're be- they're better than the other guys. Uh, so be it, man. We'll play the best players, you know. Yeah, you mentioned the six incoming freshmen. I wanted to ask you in general, what do you usually expect from a, a true freshman offensive lineman, and how realistic or unrealistic is it that they come in ready for a major role? You know, in 2014, when I was the offensive line coach here, we played three true freshmen, and you know, I think that realistic, uh, realistically, usually you don't count on a freshman. You know, you don't. But I feel like some of the guys in this class that are coming in are, are good enough to do it, and they have the mindset. I think that uh, the biggest thing, all the guys are going to have is athletic ability, you know, when you recruit a guy. And I think it comes with, is he able to process quick on his feet and be able to embrace the grind of college football, of the meetings, of going to class, the weightlifting, you know, the treatment you need to get. Uh, those are the things I think will set a guy apart coming in. And if he's a kid that's a mature kid and really can focus on the task at hand and not get, um, you know, confused or distracted, those are the guys I think will be able to do it. And sometimes it takes a guy maybe one or two years to kind of settle in. But I need to get around those guys a little bit more and kind of get a better feel to see who could do it, you know. But I really believe they all have – the skill set to do it at a young age here. I find offensive line recruiting so fascinating because I think it's the area where you, you get the most most underrated guys that, that, that turn into things more than they were expected or it's maybe just the hardest position to project and, and evaluate. What are the, the keys that you look for when you start scouting a prospect that help you identify, okay, this is a guy that fits what we do, what we want? I You know, one is I think just – his athletic ability, and what I mean by that is like the initial quickness from when he's in the stance, be able to get on a guy. You know, when he climbs up to the second level, does he have change of direction? You know, does he stay on his feet? When I see him get out to run a screen, can he run, you know, run well? You know, can he set anchor on pass when he gets starts getting knocked back? Does he play with power and strength? I mean, those are the kinds of things that you kind of look for, you know, flexibility. You want, I like the guys that are athletic guys that move well on their feet. That you go, hey, this guy's this guy's pretty good. You know, this is this guy can do it. Um, you know, th- those are the things that kind of stick out to me. You know, when I look at a guy, um, so it's you know, athleticism that's that's key. 
recoverability, you know. Has what you look for changed at all with this new offense, with Graham Harrell's offense, and, and what you need to kind of fit what you're doing now? Yeah, I think it does a little bit. I mean, I think that you we understand we're not in a two-back uh, offense where we're going to, you know, get in two-back power, put 22 personnel in the game, and we want we're going to throw the ball, which is great. Uh, we need to probably be a little bit more nimble on our feet, better recoverability. You know, we, we want to look at the arm length. You know, that's a key thing when I talk about measurables. We want to look at foot size because a guy that has a bigger foot usually has better balance and recoverability. A smaller foot sometimes, you know, will get knocked off balance, you know. And so uh, those are the things that I look for. And I think, yeah, in this offense, you know, we play high tempo. I mean, you want a guy that's in shape and things. So it's uh, those are the things that we do look for in the skill set of the offense lineman coming into this air raid. These last two recruiting classes, the, the 2020 class and this 2021 class you're working on now, are so pivotal because you, you're really rebuilding the foundation at that position for the future. How fun has that been, or, or what's been the pressure you felt this last year plus in, in making sure that you are replenishing the depth chart and the stock, so to speak? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, you feel pressure. I mean, your name's on that rope. I mean, you want to do good. You want to do university right and all the fans and all the alumni and the great players that played inside the program you know so i take tremendous pride in the work you know of uh trying to evaluate a guy watching three or four game tapes on him doing a write-up on him that's you know critical put your thoughts down you know making sure that when you're looking at the tape that you're looking at a good opponent maybe you're looking for him to go against a guy like you know a guy from centennial corona a great player you know so uh you know those are the things that we look for uh you know we just took six in this last sign class and that's a that's a tough thing to do you know uh in this next one we'll see how many you know coach has been very good to us about giving us enough offense line i think he understands that you know championships one up front offense defensive line so i mean it's uh yeah i take tremendous pride it's 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 countless times of looking at tape evaluating guys still looking through the internet never ever pass on an email that's sent to you that maybe might be a guy, you know, there's some guys out there that could be great walk-ons that could earn a scholarship, you know, like, you know, so I think really turning over every stone to make sure you're doing a great job that you're not missing on anybody, you know, and not worry about the stars either, Ryan, not worry about them. You know, people get caught up in stars all the time. And it's, uh, I mean, it's, you look at a guy like Tom Brady who's drafting the seventh round. Look what he's done in pro football. You think everybody wanted Tom Brady coming out? <laughs> I mean, for, right? I mean, I, and the neat thing about it is I've been in pro football where you see guys, uh, even like we had as a practice squad guy that we took, Kenny Wiggins, in San Francisco 49ers, came out of Fresno State, and got started. I think I saw him a year ago at a wedding. I think it was his eighth year going into pro football or seventh or something. And, uh, I mean, he was just a free agent guy that we took and made, and we developed him. And I think in the offensive line, you got to develop guys. I mean, you want the athleticism, but the guy might not be able to play with strength right away, but you're counting on your strength coach to do that, you know, and and uh, it's a formed habit playing the offensive line. It's great technique you do, and there's some things that we can teach, And but if the kid's got some clay, we can mold it if he's athletic and he's foot turnover speed and those things that you look for, you know. That really leads into my next question, and I already hinted at it. I, I do think the offensive line is the position where the – sites like ours that evaluators miss the most on guys because it is so hard to project. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, though, 
at what point in your career did you develop the confidence that you knew what you were looking at? That when you when you saw a guy and he may have been underrated by the services, you knew that I trust my eyes. This guy's gonna be a player for me. How, how do you get to that point of, of confidence in your own evaluation? I think I learned it in pro football. To be honest with you, Ryan, I think that getting ready for the draft, looking at all these college guys, listening to great great scouts and great general managers and head coaches and you know coaches that have done it a long time in the NFL, yeah, actually going through and looking at three or four game tapes on them writing down notes, strengths, weaknesses, overall, what you think of them, putting your thoughts down on paper is huge. Um, and then getting out there and working with different players, I think you see free agents come in, then you get the elite player like Joe Staley that's your coach. You're like, wow, this guy's unbelievable. Or you get the guy that's really smart like Johnson Goodwin that had the great career. You know, So I think you more and more times you watch tape over and over, um, you see it and you get better at it and you get confidence because you've done it at a high level. And then I think the key thing, Ryan, is when you sit down with these guys and you talk to them, you get to know them, you start to realize, do they have the DNA makeup to make it? Do they have the confidence? Do, do they have the intelligence? Can they you know, persevere, persevere through tough times and get to know them to see if they're a fit for what you want in the room you know, and for the team? So I think there's, a, there's one side of it athletically, and there's another side of the mentally that's a key component as you're evaluating guys, you know? Yeah, that makes total sense. You gave, you gave us a, a pro example with Wiggins. Is there a great example of a, a college guy you recruited that, that was an underrated guy with the stars in the rankings that you just knew was going to be better than that and that panned out and, and really proved it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, you know, a couple. I mean, one, I mean, you look at, you know, a kid I recruited in Michigan, Jalen Mayfield. Um, from Grand Rapids, Michigan, you know, he's there and everybody kind of laughed at me in Michigan. Oh, you take this guy, you're going to take this guy. Really? You're going to take this guy. You know, he was kind of like laughing at me and, uh, just, uh, I got a phone call in the middle when I was here the first year I was at SC, it was 18 and Hey, some guy called me from Michigan goes, Hey man, you're right about Jalen Mayfield. I go, yeah, yeah, I knew that. You know, I knew <laughs> when you know, when you evaluate and there's other, other guys, those are the ones that you know do us on my mind that fresh on my mind but i mean there's guys you when you're can you have a conviction about somebody and you know you just stay on the table and you just bat him down no this guy's gonna make it nope this guy's gonna make it he's gonna be good you know i feel you know you just because you have confidence what you're doing in the valuation of it and you've worked with so many guys you gotta get feel what what makes them so you know, those are that's a that's a perfect example there. You know, of a guy. Um, that's a great example. Is is there a guy from this uh, the six man class that you're bringing in that you felt was the most overlooked or underrated? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, you know, one of them was the, the Andreas Dirk kid from Las Gatas. I mean, uh, you know, you would look at his junior tape; it's good. I went and watched him work out in spring ball. I saw him hit a Crowther. I saw him the way he bend. You know, he bend on the crowd. You're like, that guy's six foot seven. How the heck does he do that? Then I watch him through a team drill. Great initial quickness off the ball. Uh, really good change of direction at the second level. Then we turn on his senior tape, and you're like, this guy's six foot seven, two hundred ninety plus pounds, and he's moving like this. You know, and I saw him during camp, and I'm thinking. This guy just needs to make the transition technique-wise 
of what you need to do in college. He's got the toughness. I mean, this guy's a tough kid. I mean, you're on the field, you almost got to pull him back. I mean, he's trying to slam guys in the dirt and everything. And you're thinking, this guy here, we got to train him a little bit better body control, you know, which we can do. Got to get his cleats in the ground. We got to, you know, we got to work on his pass set, getting all of his cleats in the ground and kind of grooving his kick. And I felt like this guy's, you know, he's an overlooked guy, you know. Uh, really thought, I mean, feel really good about him. And I mean, a guy like Casey Collier, I mean, gosh, that guy's six foot seven plus. Um, you know, sister plays uh, basketball at the University of Texas. Mom was a basketball player. Dad was a basketball player. I mean, they're athletic. And this kid, I mean, his best football's ahead of him. See, that's the thing, Ryan. When you're looking at a guy, you can go to a school where a kid is, like, really good. But then you want to say, okay, what's his ceiling? How high can, can the ceiling go? You don't want a guy that's tapped out. Yeah. And there's some schools, I mean, and, and we love great coaching. They do such a great job of coaching. But the potential of that player, they're, they're tapped out, you know? Uh, how much better they, is he going to get? He's got a good skill set, but how much better is he going to get? Is that about it? You know, and then you got to look at the body dynamics of it. What's his shoulders look like? What's his butt look like? What's his legs look like? Is he able to carry 50, 60, 50 or 60 more pounds? Does he have the body structure to do that? Because I think one key thing is when you're looking for offensive linemen is you want a guy with good lower body girth. Yeah. Why? plays with strength why less likely to get hurt i learned that in the nfl because you're going to play 22 plus games you want a guy that can, can like take the hits and keep going you don't want a thin body guy you know because that then that has a chance for injury you know that's, that's great perspective and insight i i do want to get into your career but i do want to circle back one more time to i should have followed up about elijah and the transition out to left tackle People look at him and think, say, well, he's probably a guard at the next level. That's his natural spot. What's the biggest challenge for him adapting to that left tackle spot if that's where he ends up this year? Yeah, no, I think the, the biggest thing is, is I think just, you know, a, a groove in his kick, be able to get pat tackle sets. Like I said earlier, I mean, a center and a guard that usually are working together in tandem. You know, if you're starting to slide and pass pro, a center's usually got a guard and guard's got a center, and I call it a sideboard. Usually the tackle spots, you're usually by yourself. Um, so I think it's just the biggest key is, I think, at the tackle spot is you groove in your kick, get all your cleats to the ground, and then it becomes a spatial awareness thing. Some guys lack spatial awareness. What I mean by that, coach, when do I punch? Mm-hmm. Coach, when do I punch? Coach, when do I turn? You know, Elijah has the DNA makeup and, and the football savvy. He can understand that. He's got good spatial awareness when to punch. Some guys will see something coming. They think it's there already, but it's a step behind, and they punch, and then they lunge. You know, so those are the things that uh, that that Elijah has as a skill set. We just need to groove it so he gets more reps out there to see if that's a good fit for us. Uh, and I think another one is is always comes up is as a tackle. It's like, hey, when do I turn? You always see these guys rush up the field past me. When do I turn? I always say, hey, if the guy becomes even with you, take one more kick. Then that's why you, you'll widen them. Because the bottom thing, bottom line is, is the centers and guards and pass protects are responsible for the depth of the pocket. The tackles are responsible for the width of the pocket. Mm-hmm. 
So that's how you because so usually you got the little bit more shorter, stouter, bigger, thicker, heavier, little heavier feeder feet guys at the guard spots because they want to be able to set ankle when you start to get a bull rusher guy makes a move. At the center spot, you want the guys quick as a cat and smartest guy on the offensive line. Then you got your fleet-footed guys that are outside of the tackle spots. They can really move their feet and be able to not get beat around the edge and be able to recover if a guy takes an inside move. You know, so those are the kind of the things that you kind of think about as you're putting things together. Yeah, man, it's it's a lot more complex and complicated than people I think probably realize from the outside. But that, that's great insight. Okay, I. I think it goes back to, too, is like when you went back is, you know, people go out and evaluate. Nobody wants to look at the offensive line. Right. Everybody wants to look at the quarterback, and we love quarterbacks. Everybody wants to look at the running back, <laughs> receivers, the DBs. I mean, some people watching O-line plays, like probably watching paint dry on a wall, you know. But it's the most important position on the field, you know, I believe. I mean, you have great offensive lines. You can have great years. And, I mean, it's like this. It, playing offense lines a form habit. Who wants to go push a car down the middle of the street with a wide base? <laughs> you know, the kid wants to get out there and catch the ball, right? You know, or throw the ball. Yep. You know, because I think it's that way. Yep. Yep. Totally. Well, uh, let's go all the way back to the beginning of your career. I, I'm always fascinated by coaching journeys, and you finish up at Cal State Fullerton, become a GA there the next year. How did you know that you wanted to get into coaching, and and when did you know it was going to be? Uh, a serious pursuit and, and kind of your future for you? You know, I thought it was, it's, and that's a great question. Um, I'm the youngest of nine children. My dad died when I was four. My mom raised us all. Okay. And it was kind of a hard time. I, you know, it was a hard time, you know, four years old, kind of not understanding what's going on and, and things. And, and, um, you know, I think one of the therapies that I used to do that helped me was going to the high school football games on Friday night. My mom used to take me down to South High football games. I used to watch games. I get to be a ball boy and, you know, different things around the football program and the athletic department there. Mom was very active in South High School. And I think it just became me. It's just who I was, you know. And uh, when I was done playing football, Cal State Florida, I wasn't good enough to go to pro football. And I was like, I'm not – I was really devastated. It's like, I don't want to give this great game up. Well – I want to give back to it what it did for me. It's helped me through my life in so many different ways. It's created who I am today as a man. So it was, um, I just loved it. I didn't want to leave it. I just, I stayed and I've just embraced the grind to try to make it this level. Uh, you know, it's, and it's hard, you know, it's hard. It's a lot of hard work and, um, a lot of time away from the family, but, uh, it's such a great game and the people that you meet throughout the game just change your life. It's special, really special. It is a grind, and it's a, it's a ladder you got to climb, and, and, and all coach, most coaches go through it. You spent five years at Montana State, first as a tight ends coach and running backs. What was the vision back then, and, and did you have a timeline in mind? Did you have any sense for where your career was going at that point? You know, I didn't. And I remember I said, to, I said to my wife, I think, hey, you know, give me five years. I think I said it when we first got married. I went to Montana State, and, and we went to Bozeman, Montana, which is a – small town there and she's coming from orange county you know she's used to south coast plaza now there's the bozeman mall which is about 100 yards long and one day walking out there's somebody you know is hunting up there somebody's got a deer that's killed in the back of their their pickup truck my wife's like oh my gosh where'd you bring me you know and and uh, yeah I, I think you just when you're so compassionate you know passionate about something you want to be good at something you don't worry about the money you don't worry about those kinds of things 
you just do what you love to do. And I am, I love this game. I love being around the people, the coaches, administration, the players. It just brings joy to my heart. So I just, I just kept on plugging away. And I was there with Cliff Heisel a long time. Jim Sweeney assistant taught me the really a unbelievable elementary things about coaching and things. And, um, I just kept on pressing, you know, just kept pressing and not, you know, turning back and just kept my eyes forward and just trying to chase greatness, you know? I've been to Bozeman. That's a fun town to visit, at least. Yeah, you know, my daughter just took – it's funny how things get full circle. My daughter's a graduate of Miami of Ohio in athletic training. She just graduated in May. Yep. And, and she's going to Montana State to be a graduate assistant to work in athletic training for football. How about that? Yeah, how about that? Isn't that I mean, my wife and I have spent five years there, so we – we're excited for up there and work with Rob Higgs and, and uh, the athletic training department. So that's great. Obviously a big connection for you in your career was, was thinking up with Jim Harbaugh uh, at San Diego. You were already there when he got there. How did you build a trust and a, a camaraderie with him where you end up following him to Stanford and the 49ers and eventually Michigan? I think, I mean, the biggest thing, I think that um, he liked what we did offensively. It, was, it kind of was what he liked, you know, and, and I think just the relationship that we had, the trust that we built right away, uh, the loyalty to to him. And I, I really believe that I thought with Jim, if you're good, he'll take you. If you're not good, he'll leave you. You know, he's pretty – he wants result. He knows it's, this is a result-oriented business. And I was fortunate enough to do a great job for him, and he liked what I did. Uh, and uh, was able to spend, you know, X amount of years with him. Um, and so we were at San Diego, Stanford, 49ers, and I went to SC in 14 and then went to Michigan for uh, for three years. So I think just uh, he, 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 we got along really well, and, and uh, uh, he, he knew I was a hard worker and I was loyal and, and uh, you know, hard on myself to do good every day. He wanted to be the best, you know. Yeah. And so uh, – so those are the kinds of things I think he probably saw a skill set in me. You, you had those years in the NFL. Uh, you come back to college. Do you think that the league would ever be in your future again, or, or do you feel that you're just college better suits your interest? No, I, I like pro football. You know, I like college football. I think in college football you could be more impressionable on guys. You know, uh, and take a guy when he's young and teach him life lessons. And because football is a small thing in life. You know, them and their well-being is the most important thing, and that you could be a father away from home, figure for them, and teach them life lessons. And like I said earlier, pro football is neat. I mean, I see you see in there guys on their journey. You learn a lot of football because you're doing it all day long. You know, and and uh, and you're, you can be impressionable to the younger guys in the room, but sometimes you learn a lot from the guy that's been doing it eight or nine years. You learn, you see why he does it. You ask him why he does it. You're like, hey, that makes a lot of sense. You learn, you see it, see, you know, what different techniques that they do. So, you know, I like them both. Yeah, I'd like to go back to pro football someday. I think that's that's elite level. Uh, I think that uh, it's uh, football all day long, which is cool, you know. And uh, But uh, I'm happy to be here at USC, and, and we'll just see where my career takes me, you know. Well, on a similar vein, that this offensive staff has so much experience, obviously, Graham's a, a young star in the business. Mike Jinks has been a head coach. You were a coordinator at Michigan. Is is being a coordinator something you desire to get back to at some point in your coaching future? Yeah, I, I do. I, I would like to be a coordinator someday, absolutely, again, you know. And uh, and uh, that's something that I think that's you, – you you know, as, a, as an assistant, you always want more responsibility. When people give you more responsibility, they trust you and think they're good at, they think you're good at what you do. So, absolutely, yes, 
I like to be a coordinator again. How does that dynamic work with the offensive staff? And I know you have involvement in the run game during the game week or planning. What are you contributing to the game plan, to the run game plan? How does that all come together? Uh, it comes together. We just like, you know, we sit in the room and, and, you know, I put the run game together and Mike Jinks has helped me out with it. And uh, we put it, I put a plan together, type it up for him, give it to Graham, you know which would be, you know, first or first or second base downs and then your third down runs and then your short yards and your goal line and red zone runs. I put a plan together for them and, and, and different things like that. I feel like formationally personnel groups that be benefit us during that game that week. And then I always sit down and watch a blitz tape with uh, Coach Jinx on uh, Sunday. We watch a, a summation of all the pressures that the team we, we're playing against and kind of go through and try to put a protection plan together and then we – you know, I presented to to Coach Harold, and and uh, which working for Graham is great. I mean, he's he's awesome. I mean, it's just like he lets you do your job, um, and he really trusts you and things. So it's uh, that's how we do it. You know, we, I kind of handle the run game and the protections and things, and then uh, and then and then um, you know, Graham, the rest guy, do the pass stuff, and then we're all in together. We all make decisions together and see what's best. And then Graham makes the final decision because he's the coordinator when he thinks is best, you know? Yep. All right, just last two for you. We really appreciate you being so generous with your time here. You, you mentioned coming back to USC after leaving for Michigan. I want to get into that the, the thought process. When you knew you were leaving Michigan, was it obvious that this is where you wanted to be or that you have a bunch of options on the table? How did that all come about? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I resigned in Michigan and then uh, – there was a job here, and, and I, I reached out to Clay, and Clay reached back, and, and it's a place I really wanted to be. You know, it's it's uh, SC's a special place. Um, I always say there's two powerful seals in football in terms of on the helmet. One is the NFL shield, and the other one is the Trojan on the inside of the helmet. I mean, this place is special, and and coming back home, cause I grew up in Torrance, uh, living in LA. I love it. Um, my dad went to SC. My sister went to SC. I didn't. A nephew and a niece go to SC, uh, so I mean this is a special place. I wanted to go to SC. I used to go to SC games when I was a young kid, and this is a dream come true to be able to be at this great institution. Just this is a special place, and and I just I remember having my favorite sweatshirt as a kid was a USC a sweatshirt, and I and I, I remember one time at Kmart they used to sell the cowboy hat that had the USC on the front of the cowboy hat. You mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And I had one of those. I used to, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I don't know, this place is special. I mean, living down by the water like this, and it's just a special place. Great stuff. Lastly, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the new defensive staff and what kind of energy, uh, that's the word we keep hearing, energy, juice, what they brought to the equation. What's been the impact you felt so far? I mean, obviously you've, you haven't been around them in a while, but it was when you all were on campus preparing for spring ball. What was the difference that you saw from this from Tyler Orlando and this new staff? I did the energy, the compassion. Um, you know, just brought the juice out to practice. Um, demanding. Um, you know, it just uh, and uh, I think just a lot of ideas. You know, they've all been a lot of great places, a lot of great ideas. Um, and 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 you know, try and do what's best for the team. You know, and, and I think just recruiting wise of you know different things that. You know, re-liking things, retweeting things. You know, this is so such controlled out there with social media. So they've brought a lot to the table, and I'm looking forward to this journey with them. I think they're excellent people, and I think they're excellent football coaches. 
and um, I think uh, we're fortunate to have them. So, but I think just looking forward to the year with them. But their energy and their desire to be great is is off the chart. Great stuff, Tim Drevno. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Okay, that was great. I really enjoyed that, and much thanks to Tim Drevno for giving us all that time and really being so engaged and interesting in that conversation. I, I want to give a shout out to the USC media relations staff, which has been great about making these guys available while we're all away from campus and while we have a little bit extra time. And it's been it's been one of the I guess rare positives of this whole experience is being able to go in depth with these coaches. And we've had a lot of great guests, players, coaches alike, recruits that provide us a lot of good content during this time. So thanks to them for making uh, Tim Drevno available, and thanks for Tim for all his time. Let's get to our second and final guest, USC baseball coach Jason Gill. Jason, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being a part of the podcast today, and how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I I was excited to talk to you about a couple of matters. First, some good news in the last week. You had your pitcher Kyle Hurt drafted in the fifth round by the Miami Marlins. So let's kind of start there, and what was your excitement for Kyle, and what were you expecting through the draft process for him? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we're obviously extremely excited for Kyle. Uh, you know, in a five-round draft, that's a, you know, that shrinks the numbers, and it's difficult, and not being able to go through a full season and, and prove yourself, you know, from, from start to finish to be able to go in the top five rounds is quite an accomplishment. We're super excited for him, and I think the Marlins kind of, ran into a good one in the fifth round to be honest with you you know when I talked to their scout uh, after they took him I said you know my opinion is you got second round talent fifth round which that's good scouting what was your evaluation that kind of makes you feel he is that kind of second round caliber talent well I mean arm strength alone puts him in you know probably in those in those top five rounds out of college you know he's up to 96 and uh, I just thought his fastball command in the short season that we had and even in in, in some of the fall work that we did uh, I think it had improved quite a bit from the year before Um, you know he added a slider that was firm Uh, he still needs to shape it a little bit more but I think uh, if you're scouting or watching him you saw the you know that it's going to be a really good pitch here in in short order and he's always had a really good changeup. you know a big guy that that throws as hard as he does and he's durable right with his size that has a good changeup. most power pitchers don't learn to change up till they get into pro baseball and he yeah. already has a good feel for one so uh, i think that'll help him <clears throat> get through the minor leagues in short order well it, it was a unique draft as you mentioned only five rounds we're used to a much longer major league baseball draft what was your anxiety for your guys knowing that there was only so many spots available well, you know, you could you could talk to, to pro baseball about this as well, but the draft, you know, kind of takes a mind of its own, and it's it's really unpredictable, to be honest with you. I mean, we felt like we had a chance, um, you know, from anywhere to three to four of our players to be gone in the top five rounds and only lost one, and, and we feel like all four of them are top five-round talent. Now, that doesn't mean Major League Baseball is wrong. It's just kind of the draft takes on its own personality once it gets going based on people's signability and, and who's coming off the board. Is it pitchers? Is it shortstop? Is it college guys? Is it high school guys? And, you know, every team has their own ranking system, and when someone gets taken before them, they go, you know, and maybe changes their mind on how they're going to take their next pick. So, um, 
you know, like I said, I, I'm really excited for Kyle. We thought we had a couple other guys that might be in that mix, but they're going to come back and have another chance at it next year. Exactly. That's the flip side of things is that it it benefits the program that you're going to have guys back you might not have, have had otherwise. Let's talk about some of those guys that you're excited to welcome back and, and what you think that they can position themselves for a year from now. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Jamal um, and, and, and Ben Ramirez – um, Alex Cornwell was talked about in the top top five rounds. So I think, you know, just getting there, you know, you're talking about guys that have real chances to make a run at being big leaguers, coming back to school for another year, a year older. Uh, and then and selfishly for me, you know, it's not going to take any more time for me to earn their trust or them to earn mine as we were just new together last year. So now, I feel like they understand what the standards are. Uh, they know what to expect out of me. I know what to expect out of them. And I think it, it'll it'll speed up the process a little bit more in year two. In fact, we used to sit in the office, me and Coach Silva and Coach Alvarez and Coach Andrews, and said, man, I wish we had this same group next year. <laughs> right? So be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> I didn't want it to happen this way, but... Yeah. Uh, you know, they're a talented group of guys, and I feel like they still have room for, for growth, and I think that we can still help them with that. It's not only the the draft uh, prospects coming back, but obviously there was the roster relief where, where seniors were given the option to return for another year and not count against the roster limits. What do you know in that regard in terms of any guys you're going to get back because of the lost season? Yeah, I mean, as of now, we're going to you know get all of our seniors back and and excited about it now you know they still have you know time to change their mind we're welcoming them back our administration you know is paying for them to come back per you know by rule we can do that so uh, we're excited i mean again it's it's like you know we, we we were 10 and 5 and i feel like we were heading in the right direction we were far from where we were going to be and now we got another chance at it so um, it's going to be interesting to see because a lot of teams in college baseball are going to get a lot better next year. It's not just the Trojans. So, um, you know, it should be fun. That's true, but it does seem to to really work well in your favor because you were just starting to build something and you were just getting that foundation laid. Now you get more time to lay that same foundation, essentially. Yeah, it, it feels that way. And, you know, every year is different, right? So it's, it's um, you know, it takes you know every team takes a mind of their own and and all you have to do is remove one piece like Kyle and it changes the, the whole dynamic of the team right or and we're adding different personalities and depending on how how fast or slow they pick up on our language and how we do things and our standards you know can accelerate our program or hold it back a little bit so that's the challenge of, of you know that's my job it's the challenge of teaching and coaching is to get them all on the same page with all those guys returning and like i said earlier knowing the standards and knowing the expectations that are, are put out in front of them that it should move a little bit quicker that's the hopes anyway for sure well every sport has dealt with a new way of recruiting during this time and, and i want to ask you specifically how has it affected your staff and what you guys have done been able to do and how you've approached recruiting differently during these times well i just i think we just kind of stalled out a little bit in, in our case I and mean, we have a couple guys that we got committed um over this time period i've looked around some schools are getting a lot you know we just kind of you know our books are a little sideways right now because of everybody getting a year back and not everybody getting drafted so we're just going to hold up a little bit make sure we take care of our own people first before we start offering out other scholarships 
Makes sense. Well, I want to go through some of these uh, NCAA measures that were passed earlier this month and, and kind of get your thoughts on how it affects you. I'll just run down them real fast. If I miss anything, let me know. But the uh, the 35-man roster limit's been lifted for this next year. The annual scholarship counter has been raised from 27 to 35. The 25% scholarship minimum has been lifted. But the overall scholarship limit was not increased from 11.7 to 13.7, as was a proposal out there. What was your overall takeaway from what they decided to do and decided not to do, and, and where does that leave you? Well, I think anytime you know the NCAA is faced with decisions like that, not everybody's going to be happy with everything, right? Uh, the, you know, uh, for us, the, the rules that were changed, they probably don't help us as much as they would help other colleges, um, you know, because we're a private institution. Yeah. But, um, you know, with that said, the NCAA did their best to figure out a way to help solve um, a lot of the issues out there, which mainly are, over, we're all, you know, we're all over scholarship right now uh, because of the draft. And it wasn't, you know, it's not the NCAA's fault. It's not Major League Baseball's fault. It's COVID, right? I mean, there's you can't prepare for a pandemic like that. No one has the foresight to do it. So when Major League Baseball, you know, when we predict that we're going to have eight guys drafted off our team and we end up having one and we return seven guys that we probably spent their money to go get, you know, high school players with, yeah. that creates problems. And that's going on all over the country right now. And it's unfortunate because... Uh, you know, in some in some cases, there's you know there's there's kids that aren't going to have a place to play. Yeah, and 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 for your guys, do you have to kind of reallocate that scholarship money around? Does that lead to some tough decisions? Yeah, and we're, tough- just to, we're just trying to maneuver it around and do our best to, to you know satisfy every family and, and keep Trojans Trojans. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. That's you know, it's, again, it's. <laughs> You can only do so much, and the rules are the rules, right? So at the end of the day, you have to follow the rules. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure there'll be a lot of waivers sent in, and, and people trying to ask for relief in certain situations based on their individual situation. What kind of input or involvement did you get along with your your peers in the business in terms of hey, these are the things that are most important to us? Can we get this done? Well, all the things that were asked for and, and, you know, there were some conferences that wanted the, you know, the 11-7 to the 13.7. I, and I personally wasn't in, I was in favor of that, but not everybody was based on their fine. You know, people were having a hard time with, hey, look, we're letting go of people on our campus. How can we add money, you know, yeah. to a sport when we're, when we're telling people we don't have enough money? You know, how do we justify that? So I think that was a big issue with the scholarship additions. Um, you know, so that's kind of where it's at. Sure, sure. Well, it, people disagree. People, you know, I'm sure the schools that the haves and the have-nots, right? And trying to keep everything equitable, the NCAA tries to do that, and I think that's what they try to do in this case. And gives everybody a, a little bit of a um, some leniency. It doesn't give everybody what they need, but people will be better off for it. For sure. Well, just lastly, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you before I let you go. We've gotten some clarity, some details on at least a, a hopeful potential plan for the football guys to return here uh, this month and, and what their summer schedule might look like. What are you expecting with your guys and when you might actually get to work with them again? Well, I think, you know, in our hopes right now, if everything, you know, obviously everybody on 
any college campus that has a football team is, is hoping football gets off, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that's the life source of most athletic programs. I know in, in, in the Pac-12 or the Power 5 conferences, that's you know, obviously a very big deal. Um, so I think that's, I mean, I can speak for myself. That's my main concern right now. Because if it doesn't go off, then we have no chance. Yeah. You know? right. um, but I think in, in regards to what I'm hearing, you know, it's done in phases. I'm hoping that we can at least be in small groups when school starts. And I'm, I've been assured if it continues to go in the direction that it's going, that that should be able to happen. And it's, it's honestly not much different than what we do already. Uh, we put them in small groups and work, you know, with the hours the NCAA get, gives us. You know, we don't have a tremendous eight-hour weeks to start. So uh, we put them in small groups and work in that regard already. So, you know, my hopes are that we can get into, you know, they talked about maybe another phase where you get into pods of 30, um, which would be, you know, close to August. But like I said, we probably wouldn't really need that till. September. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I've been told or what what's going out there and it's a very fluid situation, right? It can change any moment. There's nothing set in stone. It depends on, you know, this uh, you know, COVID thing and how we're getting through it as a as a community. Yeah, that's the overarching point to all this is is everything is tenuous and ever evolving right now. But we do appreciate your insight, Jason Gill. Thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, anytime. Appreciate it, Ryan. Fight on. Okay, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed that. We've been striving to keep the guests flowing each week and keep giving you more and more and more in-depth interviews with USC personalities. And it's been a lot of fun for me to be able to put this all together. So I don't know what our plan is for the next podcast, but we will be working to get you more interesting guests and interviews and uh, another great show coming up. Once again, if you are not subscribed to Trojansports.com, we are talking about the latest recruiting buzz, the next commitment when we're expecting it, all kinds of stuff on the Trojan Talk message board. So get signed up. You can do so with a great promo. Become a new monthly subscriber, which is a pretty minimal commitment, and we'll give you a free T-shirt from BreakingTea.com up to a $28 value. You get to pick it out yourself. It's a great deal. You're getting more return on investment with the promo than you're spending for the sign-up. So... I'd recommend anyone who's not part of our site to give that a try and see if you like it. And with that, thank you, as always, for listening to this podcast, for supporting this podcast. It's growing. Our listeners are growing with each show. It's really exciting, and it's just going to open up more things we can do in the future. So thanks for being a part of this, and we'll catch you next time.